0: This computer. Good. Good. Wait, are you good. telling me
1: that you missed my first oh yeah?
0: Boom, boom. Chika you just gonna let me keep going? Hello, I'm Sasha Chambers. This is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend, Amy Rivers, reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths.
1: It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us. Whether the ideas they cooked up and fed us nourished our bodies and minds, or just rotted our teeth and
0: clogged our mental arteries. Amy and I are not film scholars, but we do have a genuine love of movies, as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 26 years and counting. And today we are joined by Leslie Graves, eating after midnight super fan, film enthusiast, therapist, brilliant artist, and ceramicist. And she is here to share all of her insight, wisdom, and cool, too cool for school girlness on our podcast today. Welcome, Leslie.
2: Oh man, thanks, Sasha and Amy, for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Like you said, I have loved every episode the two of you have thrown together for this podcast. And you know, in my work as a therapist, I actually work with college students, so I, I'm excited to talk a little bit about the angst and and oppression of these young people
0: <laughs> today. Uh, yeah, stoked to be here. I'm I'm so excited to finally have you on the show. Um, So many episodes that we have covered, Amy has, has Leslie come quick with deep, deep cuts of trivia and knowledge after the fact where like the text, like the texts come in and I'm like, oh my God, how how are you finding this so quickly? This is amazing. So I am, I'm really stoked to hear all you have to say about our, our film for today.
2: That's intriguing. What, what deep cuts have you done? I did try to solve the labyrinth door yes. door puzzle. I drew a diagram for that. Sasha. And, yes, I and keep telling it you to out.
0: post. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the <laughs> labyrinth door, the labyrinth door Venn diagram that, that Leslie did for us, as well as finding evidence of and links to, I believe, even, what's his name from oh, yes. Fright Night?
2: Oh, Stephen Jeffries and his career in gay porn that um, followed his his young movie career. Also a personal uh, fave of mine that I shared with Sasha was noticing one night when I was watching uh, Fly the Navigator, uh, <laughs> or no, not Fly the Navigator, Explorers, totally different. That Eyeball Chambers, the brother of Chris Chambers, he also torments, um, river phoenix in the explorers in an early scene as well
0: this is what i'm talking about
2: but it's because i'm a movie baby i was the only child raised by parents who put me in front of a tv for entertainment and i you know still my favorite thing to do with my spare time and procrastination
0: she sees details connects dots that are just like yes leslie do your thing it's amazing Yes.
1: So your bond with Sasha is basically because you are the exact same person with the exact same background. (laughs) (laughs) I was feeling super guilty because I am a co-parent and, you know, sometimes when I have my son, the television definitely helps out in regards to letting me, I don't know, make dinner, use the restroom... Put my hand on my head and just breathe for a couple seconds. And um, I was feeling super guilty about it. And Sasha's like, do not feel guilty about that. I said in front of the television for years, and I am a pop culture genius. And- <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's paying off now, Sasha, all that
0: pop culture yeah, that you've archived away. So I'm saying 1986 is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, starring Matthew Broderick. Alan Ruck, Jennifer Gray, why can't I remember Rooney's name? Jeffrey what a,
2: Jones. Jeffrey so Jones. talk a little about.
0: <laughs> right? And uh, there are some, it appears as though we already have some wildly differing opinions just in the overarching feeling that was left after watching this film. So do we want to start with a question or does anyone just need to vent it out? Does it, Is anyone just like, what the no, fuck? No. I need to, I need to express myself
1: well I, I think it's best to start with the first question that we always start with which is when did you see this and what was your memories of it prior to this rewatched?
2: i i will jump into this right away and say i i have had to wrestle with probably a lot of bias um that built up over the years this being at one point in time my favorite John Hughes movie my favorite one of my favorite teen comedies one of my favorite 80s movies and for a long time I think it it held that place in my heart I remember I think I first saw it maybe in middle school high school uh and it continued to be I had a poster of it in my college dorm room it said leisure rules with Ferris like on the front um it definitely played a role in me aspiring to work in Chicago for a little while which I did uh, after grad school and um, yeah so it, it's 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 been a recurring movie throughout my life now rewatching it now I have some I feel like I I came into it with a new lens and some new thoughts on it so I'll be excited to talk more about it.
0: um I'm pretty sh- I probably saw it in 86. Because there were no boundaries where film was concerned in my household, right? So, I um, I saw this as a kid, and I remember thinking um, how cool I thought Ferris was, and how awesome it was that they, you know, ditched school and that they did all of these things. I remember that I, I like I couldn't wait to be old enough to be able to ditch school and be able to be like fuck the system yeah yeah you know i think at a young age though that i was extremely cognizant of the fact that there were no black people in this film with the exception of the one girl at roll call until there was the the very pointed synchronized dance sequence during the parade i think that that might have been one of the first times as a kid where i was like oh interesting this is this is when we get to join the film oh okay your folk also uh, stole the car. Yes, that's it. That's oh. it. Or yes.
2: There's also Nurse Sparrow.
0: Oh, that's right, Nurse Sparrow. That's true. Yeah. But that's like, but that's it. But oh my God, yeah, we're it's gonna the go.
2: and helping profession.
0: Yeah, with with the exception of the one black girl in roll call, like they really did just hit black trope after black trope. So we've got like the mammy nurse, yep, the criminal car thieves, and the dancers. Like a straight-up minstrel act, in fact. You know, not just dancers, like a straight-up minstrel act. And that was that was a lot. That was a lot. And I knew it then, but I also knew that, like, Ferris was cool, and you should want to be a cool kid. Right? Funny enough, my first question that I will pose to us after this one is, do we like Ferris now? Do we actually think he's a righteous dude? If I can, I absolutely loved Ferris Bueller.
1: Absolutely loved Ferris Bueller. The... BHS that I had might as well have like snapped. We watched it so many times. It was the coolest thing. Matt B was so cute. <laughs> I love Matt B. Like Matt B was my, oh, he was my boo. I was really into Matt B. It's so strange. He is one of the eighties um, heart throbs that like, I was just so into him and, and he was charm school, wasn't he? He was so charming. And, and believe it or not, even though um, you're going to hear my feelings on Ferris Bueller pretty soon, his performance, he still is charm school, like when you watch it. But like he went from cutie patootie to like a dumpy school teacher in election, right?
2: Like, <laughs> age better than James Spader, though. Let's be real.
0: No, girl. Oh, we already disagree. James really? Spader. She still thinks James Spader's really hot. And I am not on that train. Alan Ruck, however, baby, you Ooh. can get it.
1: Yeah, James mm. Spader can buy me a drink anytime. I'll buy him a drink. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All chunk a lunky of him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always next to me. I will just wear a blindfold and listen to him speak. Fuck
2: okay. it. Yeah, that works for me. I hear you there.
0: <laughs> so, your question was what was it? Do we like Ferris? Yeah, is, is I- he the righteous dude that we're meant to believe, or is he an I- obnoxious spoiled brat? Can I? I have the same question. I
1: have the same question, but it's a little different. So, can I? I'll yes. ask the same question in a different way. Is Ferris the coolest boy in school an insufferable smug git? Or <laughs> is he a total narcissistic sociopath?
0: Yeah, that was my thing. Was it like I knew growing up watching this film over and over again that like Ferris is supposed to be the coolest and all of those things. Watching it now, I'm like, you're really actually kind of off you're awful and he's awful in a lot of different ways for me like first of all so I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna mash a whole bunch of questions that I had and together in this one like so I'll ask you later who is the character that you most identify with and I sadly have to say Jeannie because I wish that I was a rule breaker Leslie and I have had this conversation right I really really wish that I was a rule breaker but I'm not I have always been such a rule follower and not trying to like break rules and get in trouble and shit and I have always simultaneously admired and despised guys like Ferris that could get away with blue murder, never get fucking caught and just not give a fuck. Just absolutely not give a fuck. Like there's that, um, oh, what's her name? I can't remember her fucking name. I used to work out with her all the time. There's that actress, she was on Parks and Rec. She was the one that played like the PR person at some point. Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn. I used to work out with Catherine Hahn all the time. And all the time I would see Catherine Hahn park in a spot in front of a church that clearly was like, don't fucking park here. It's for the church. Don't park here. And one day I walked up to her and I was like, what do you know about this spot? Because it's always the one left. And if you're running late, you know you're going to miss class, but you see that spot and you drive past it because it's for the fucking church. What do you know about this spot that I don't? And she just looked at me and she goes, I'm not a good person. And I was like, I just so wish I could have that. I so wish that I wasn't so consumed with being a good person that I would be like, I have one, YOLO motherfuckers. I have one life to live. I'm taking this parking space. I'm going to ditch school. Do you know that the Ferrari 250 GT California? Is valued at somewhere between 13 and $15 million. I'm going to convince my friend to take his father's millions of dollars worth of vehicles out onto the road and fuck his stress levels. It's going to be good for him. Like I sometimes wish I could be that person, but I'm not. So like, I really have anger for Ferris the same way that Jeannie does. And also that admiration of just being like, yeah, man, I so wish I could just be that fuck it person. I really, really do. But he's also, the amount that he bitches about not having a car when he's got an entire recording studio in his bedroom, Mm -hmm. I just can't. Like, this kid's not suffering.
2: To be fair, that also seems like very much a typical plight of a moderately privileged teenager. I want a car. I don't want this computer or this kind of geeky equipment, even though clearly he is able to utilize it his advantage, which ties into some of my questions later um, around class privilege, um, but you know, for me, I feel like there are pieces to Ferris that are concerning because all these different factors have contributed to him feeling invincible and being able to take advantage of that inflated ego and invincibility to manipulate systems. And also, I can understand the spirit of having fun. He has figured out with his craftiness and his resources how to play his hands in ways that favor him to have fun and to get what he wants and to do what he wants all the time. But I do think there is good in him partly because of my belief that much of this movie is centered around him trying to support his best friend. Now, does he realize the consequences for someone like Cameron? with an abusive father or potentially the consequences of having to throw away incredibly expensive cars or put, you know, various things at stake. No, he doesn't experience stakes in the same way that other people experience stakes. There you go. But I don't know if I can just blankly say he's a bad person or that he's narcissistic. I think there's some normative aspects to being a teenager in him. And yeah, it's also an experience I can't relate to. I'd say, you know, you used to tell me, uh, Sasha, that I, or, you know, we were talking about being rule followers. And I actually do feel like a lot of my young life, I was more like Jeannie or more like Cameron and limited by fear
0: mm-hmm.
2: or just frustrated uh, by the unfairness that, you know, I saw in the world, especially when friends of mine seem to just get away with whatever they wanted or everything seemed easy for them. And at the same time too, um, I, I wanted very much to be a rule breaker. And I I appreciated some aspects of that, you know, anti-establishment, anti-authority energy to Ferris.
1: It is so funny because you, you guys say, oh, I wanted to be a rule breaker and stuff. And it's funny because I don't think I was a rule breaker, but I didn't want to, like my dad was a cop. <laughs> And I wasn't super rebellious against him. I actually quite admired my father and respected him so much that I wanted to do it. And, and maybe this is why my view of Ferris is just so like, fuck this dude, because he is like, it's a fucking criminal. He just stole this guy's car. <laughs> like, like at the end of the day, dude, fuck it, this, I'm just going to say it. Like this guy is two clicks away from Ted fucking Bundy in my opinion. And I find it so hilarious that oh, I, this isn't against you guys. This is just in general, but we've wa- we've done this show and, and like we've had female characters that have done less than him. And we've been vicious with them of just being like that girl's. I mean, we we had the sea bomb on last episode. We've called them stupid fucking Ariel and stuff. And yet this guy, we find him forgivable. And I don't know, for me, super narcissist. Like he, what is the John Lennon quote that he says in the beginning? Um, I don't
0: believe
2: in Beatles. I just believe in me.
0: Right? Which is and- because, because John Lennon was the walrus. I could be the walrus. I'd still have to bum rides off people.
2: Yeah, like
1: the <laughs> obsession with the car. Like I get, I, I, I'm I'm not um, uh, arguing that that's a normal thing. I wanted a car, but God, like, like it just it, he says some crazy ass shit, and then he ends it with that. And and when it, it it's it's punctuated with, and I can't get a car. Like his whole rant about European socialism and how
0: he, who cares about that? That it's hits real hard this week. Yes. yes. There's a lot of irony to that part of yes. the movie. The fascist exactly. anarchist. Yes. All of that. Fascist anarchists. Yeah. And to me, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't
1: matter to you because you are isolated on the, you know, top of a mountain somewhere, you know, getting high off the air up there. And then ultimately, you know, we're going to get into this more. So I'm going to just be sharp. You know, he manipulates people and specifically Cameron and you know you can argue that he's doing it to you know help him overcome this fear but god his logic is really flawed in my opinion and the way of going about it is just like why can't you just help him run away you know sell your equipment and like help him get on a ferry and live in a different place away from your cruel parents like like fucking like because the consequences of the action um, of ruining the car at the end. Like, we don't know what happens in chapter two for, for Cameron, but I don't think it's a chat with dad. Okay, like I just don't. Morris. <laughs> Morris, yeah, yeah. Morris. Yeah. yeah. But like, ultimately, um, some of the ways he deals with him, what was it, the, the point, you know, when he hits him and then he kind of is like, oh, I don't mean it. It's so insincere. He's just so insincere in some moments. And Cameron falls for it, but he doesn't fall for it. Like there's a point where he's like, you don't care. You really don't. And it's like, you know, and it's, it happens later in the movie. He's like, you don't really care about this. You don't really care about me. And he's absolutely right in my opinion in that moment. So we will get into it more, but I feel like he he's getting away with it, you know, with, um, you know, we're finding him forgiving. Because you know we forgive people like Ferris, good looking, charming, well off. Hey, he's just trying to have fun.
0: Fuck him, dude. Well, he's 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 in he is in himself insufferable, but ultimately the thing that he is representing, the like the joie de vivre of just like fuck it, you only live once. Life moves pretty fast, and if you don't slow down, you might miss it. Because ultimately, you look at all the other characters. That's kind of. That's the over that's that's the message, right? Life moves pretty fast. And if you don't slow down, you might miss it. So what is it you're spending your time on, right? We watch Rooney spend damn near two hours hunting a teenage boy because his ego can't handle the fact that this kid one-ups him in front of children, right? And then we watch Jeannie basically just dissolve to the point where she ends up for five minutes in a police station, okay? <laughs> Not in cuffs, all right? For five minutes in a police station. Out. Right, making out, <laughs> you know? And that's her her magical moment is with this drug addict who's like, you're spending your time wrong.
1: he like, says the problem yeah, is you.
0: The problem is you. He's like, you're spending your time obsessed with someone else's joy. You need to fucking get your own joy. So like, that's, you know what I mean? That's overall, I think, why we can find Ferris forgiving because everyone just wants to be able to say like, fuck it, I want my joy.
1: I'm with you 1000% on that, except his joy and his um, seeking joy has razor blades attached to it and people who get too close to it get cut. And if that wasn't, you know, if that wasn't it, if he could go out and, and feel the joy that he has without manipulating and hurting people, then maybe I'd find him more forgiving. But the thing is, is there are consequences
0: to See- what he- there was a point in time, though, where I started dabbling in being like a bit of a rule breaker. Right. And do you do you remember the time when you because like Amy has always been a workaholic. She has always had like four and five jobs. She works like if there's 40 hours in a week, Amy's working 70 of them like she's doing she's doing all of it all the fucking time. And I really wanted to do something fun one day. And Amy was like, I have to work. And I was like, fully fairest on you. And was like, "No, you're not gonna work." And I got her out of the car and I turned your sweater inside out, and I pinched your cheeks until your eyes got kind of watery. And I was like, "You're gonna go in there and you're gonna tell them that you're fucking sick. You could have gotten fired. You totally could have gotten fired, right? But you no, did the thing. Have- and then we went and had a great time.
2: And, and okay. that's where fear that like fear of possible repercussions can have such an influence, even when there's not necessarily the outcome that we are are fearing. before we move to a Different topic. There's reference that they have been friends since elementary school. And we don't necessarily see the whole course of their friendship. So we don't know exactly to what extent razor blades have been existent. We don't know how Cameron's story and his arc has looked over the course of of their friendship. I wonder what does Ferris get from his friendship with Cameron? Because this seems like it's the first time he's ever taken out the car. Yeah, it's not like this is a repeat. This is new. Right. It's a new pushing of boundaries. Right.
0: Absolutely.
2: And and so and it's not necessarily that that they don't have I me mean, some mutuality to the friendship. I, I guess I'm just wondering what what it is for Ferris as a seemingly likable guy who has all these people who admire him, at least on the surface, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that keeps him bonded to Cameron? Is it just this, man- he's a, a tool that he can manipulate for his own benefit? Or I wanna believe there's something more there, but that's my optimism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the inherent good I see in people.
1: <laughs>
0: for me, it's that every dictator needs a pool boy. Oh my. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't see their relationship quite like that because I feel like, especially even at the, at the, at the baseball game, that's where you can, you can see their camaraderie. You can see their friendship and like how close they are to each other. I feel like, and again, again, in the pool scene, even though, you know, I think Ferris is realizing like it would not be a great topper to the day to have to call the cops you know, if Cameron has drowned himself in the pool, um, there is genuine concern there, genuine concern and remorse in that moment. I think that that he may have pushed his friend too far. Yeah, but I'm I'm with Leslie on that. We don't know the full depth and breadth of their um, of their friendship, but it is it is curious. Like, how does Cameron fit into this? I'm super Mr. Popular. I'm sorry. I think Dang. he's yeah. he's a footstool. I
1: like. I'm with. You. Yeah, he is. Like, and it's You can have, rap, uh, uh, like a Rappaport with with someone, and it still be a toxic friendship. A Rapport wow. or a Michael Rappaport.
2: <laughs> a Michael.
1: Rappaport. A Michael.
2: Rappaport. I can have a toxic friendship with Michael Rappaport. Yes. So you can have a toxic. <laughs> Oh my God. You know, it,
1: it's unfair because it's very late in my world and I have an infant and um, and I'm dumb. So it's really not fair that you guys do that. But anyway, you can have that with a friend and still have it be toxic. I have had lots of friendships that have been very toxic where we did. I mean, you need to have an in, you need to have those moments where it it, it looks like friendship. I've had a couple of friendships that were really tight and and we, you know, how it happened. And then it just hit a point where it was just super toxic all the time. And that's what I see in that relationship because also it's high school. It's not like they've
0: known each other for 45 years. So do you think they're more like Andy and Steph from Goonies where it's like, they've been friends forever and this is the summer where they break apart where it's like, you know, we've just, we've just gone to school with each other. We know each other forever, but like in truth. And Ferris
1: says that at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this big thing where it's like, you know, after this year, we're done. He goes to school. I go to school. This is this is our moment. He doesn't talk about I mean, and Sasha, we went to high school together. At no point was I like, all right, me and Sasha done. Mm -hmm. Well,
2: I've actually lost touch with most people. I went to high school, even though I enjoyed them. So I also wondered if for him, he thought it was inevitable that when people go their separate ways, much like in Stand By Me. You know, Mm. friends drift apart, (laughs) faceless people in the cafeteria. (laughs) Maybe to some degree, this was his last hurrah with his friend. Right, which is
0: why he pushed it to be like, let's take the $15 million vehicle.
2: But what you're (laughs) saying is true, Amy. There can absolutely be, you know, I think a lot of times, and I talk with a lot of my students about this. They maintain friendships with people who they grew up with who they don't necessarily feel connected to anymore, at least, or maybe they aren't supportive friendships in the way they need. But in their mind, I know you're saying they haven't been friends for 45 years, but in an adolescent's mind, to be friends as long as they have, that's a damn long time to be friends. And that longevity to them clouds their sense of, you know, is this this something to continue investing in? True.
1: I'm with you. Yeah, you're right. Let's lighten the mood it was one of my favorite movies and there is a lot of funny shit in it so let's talk it out iconic scenes let's have some fun because we just had a really heavy conversation we need to lighten the mood up
2: <laughs> before we bit back in yeah <laughs> yeah
0: exactly let's come up for air everyone anyone want to start with that one i'll, Bueller, I'll go Bueller. Yep. Bueller, right? Okay, so right there. <laughs> yeah, let's start with school. Right there, there's that one. Bueller, Bueller. I I actually have that down as is that scene, which incidentally was was incidental to the film. In in the little bit of research that I did on it, he's a writer and a friend, and his just he was supposed to just do a voiceover, but his the way he was delivering it was so hilarious that they were like, no, just, just do a scene. He's a lawyer, that's it. He's a lawyer and an amateur actor. And they were like, why don't you just improv a lecture on something that couldn't be drier for kids? Which is <laughs> well, when he was like, let's talk about the laugher curve, right? And I wondered, I was like, is this bit part is this possibly the most successful bit character in any film ever? Because Bueller Bueller is like probably the most iconic thing from the entire film. Um, But my favorite, my favorite scene, and it will always be, is the instrumental version of the Smiths, please let me get what I want as they go through the museum and they are in the line of children on a field trip holding hands. I will, my heart will never not melt at that scene. And I will never not be wrapped up in that immediate sense of wonder of being, it's like I can smell the museum in that scene. I can feel the cold air of the museum. I just wanna wear that little black girl's yellow dress and be on a field trip and be completely wrapped up in art.
2: Hold Alan Ruck's hand.
0: Uh Uh-huh, and hold Alan Ruck's hand, please. Do you have a question about that scene? Are all
2: of
1: these pieces in that museum? Because I saw a Picasso, a Rodin, a Modigliani, a Seurat, a Chagall window, Jackson Pollock, a Kandinsky. A Bracuzzi.
0: Yes, they are. Yes.
2: (laughs) The Art Institute of Chicago is a magical place. It's also one of my favorite scenes for that reason. It's it's a magical museum. That Chagall window in a dark corridor and them kissing to that instrumental. Yes, it's a it's a magical magical
0: movie. Chills. I have chills right now thinking about it. It's the it's my it's the best. It's the best. The whole part of the movie. It's the best. It is Mm -hmm. the best
1: part. It is the best. You know, it is the best. Um, Leslie, you need to tell us yours because I will say this is the best scene. But an honorable mention has to go to Jeannie kicking Rooney in the face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's an amazing kick. Two kicks. Two kicks, boom boom. I also really love her football style hustle up the stairs. She's got a side to side run that is like, oh, okay, so that that's even longer. That seems great. Oh my so God. that would be
1: that would be my honorable mention because, and actually, that's what I wrote as my favorite scene. But Sasha, you're right. The museum scene is the best, and and Alan rep staring at the Syrah at you know Sunday in the Park and the eyes thing like that's beautiful really is leslie
2: i was gonna say well i had it on paper here too that that's one of my favorite scenes um for all the reasons mentioned and yeah the dream academy is instrumental of please 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 let me get what i want is amazing their other song in the movie when he kisses Sloan goodbye i i have strong feelings about the soundtrack i'm a soundtrack freak in general um but in addition to that i love what was actually an improvised moment um, where Edie McClurg, who's the uh, secretary for um, yeah. Rooney, does the, you know, geeks, sluts, bloods, dweebies, dickheads. <laughs> yeah. He's- that was a completely improvised moment by her which i thought was fabulous i just like their weird dynamic and when she's trying to pretend to be him on the Whoa. phone and the chaos Whoa. of that <laughs> even though he you know is you know not being very nice to her and all that she, she's just a delightful delightful actress um and i don't know why I the, the parade is over the top and it's complete suspension of disbelief right I think there's so much in this movie that I think for me separate from our analysis separate from all the commentary I just enjoy the the fantasy of this this movie as an adventure movie and a friendship movie but the parade I I can't help but not feel I got up and did a dance with Sasha when we were watching the parade sequence I did the whole steps Mm-hmm. The, the, the group on the steps and ha mm-hmm. ha ha like, just can't get in and it's like a, what is it a tuesday afternoon but who cares everyone just ready to go have fun in downtown chicago um and then also i'm giving too many favorite scenes i'm an indecisive person <laughs> racing home but i feel i and, and th- i feel like this it happened. maybe i'm only thinking of two movies where this happens but that rush to get home to not get caught there's something about it maybe it's because of march of the swivel heads playing with it which is a ridiculous song um but uh i just love how he's weaving in through all these homes and jumping over fences in a way it mirrors um perhaps a more problem to me honestly a little bit more problematic uh chicago love letter movie of the same era avengers and babysitting um they're also rushing home to beat the parents and not get caught. Um, and I still love them for other reasons. But all of those are scenes that still spark, spark delight in me when I see them.
0: So fun fact about the parade that I read. Firstly, it actually happened just like that. Because I remember when you and I watched it together, we were like, this is they're asking so much of us right now to just be like yeah this happened the thing is is it fucking did they had zero permits they built a float and they crashed a parade that happened to be happening
2: amazing
0: and then they yes and then they came back the next day and staged a parade and the extras that were in it and then people that came to fill in to watch the filming crashed the lines and all started dancing to twist and shout it actually happened the thing that we think that we're being expected to not believe, it actually happened. No, which no, is but amazing. It, wait, wait, quick question, because I got
1: issue. I have issues. I can't believe you guys like that scene. A, hey, we just were obviously in. Oh no, I hated that scene, and then I
0: read that today and was like, "What the living fuck?" That I actually, like, it actually happened that they crashed a parade okay, and they, got away so with so it. So the question that's as fair as, as it gets. So the, here's my question. Did they know that a movie was
1: being filmed and that's why they were freaking out? Or was it like this kids
0: on a parade fervor, just parade fervor. They just got caught up into it and were like, yeah, no, no, no. The (laughs) lip sync sequence, the lip sync sequence, they had a permit for to do. And the extras that were there were really into it. And then people were like, what's going on over there? There's a, there's a movie being filmed clearly, but they got so into it that they were like, yeah, twist and shout. But the, the other scenes of him like being on the float and stuff, he they that all happened. They crashed a fucking parade. They uh, ferrised that fucking shit. All I have to say is, is
1: it's the worst drag queen performance I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. And secondly, like it would be one thing if he did something exciting, but he's not. He's literally just like singing to it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, th-
2: I think <laughs> Part of that is in a way, well, I think that also just reflects his like entitlement of, oh yeah, I can just jump on this flow. Sure. And maybe that's partly what's problematic about it. I'm not denying that aspect, but I think it's also him with no other intention but to just connect to Cameron and be like, hey, <laughs> life that's can be fun. pretty wacky yeah. and fun. And he has fun in that moment. Cameron's actually cutting loose and being silly.
1: You're less scene that you um liked the the going home scene, the running home scene. Um, I love when he's running through the houses and, and is like, excuse me, dinner's ready. Like that's hilarious. Yeah, even was, but uh, there's a part where he's running and his father's in the car. And I was just like, how do you not recognize your son? Like they're literally doing it. So I said that out loud. And like the guy I was watching, it was just, turns his like, because he's a
2: buffoon.
0: The yeah the father he is, is kind of a
2: buffoon there are actually many theories you know th- like this how he is- has so many theories but one of them is that people think his dad did see him and was just trying to play it off because you
0: know. like how has he never how does he he's never met sloan before his kid's girlfriend he's never met that girl that's like in the fucking cab he's never seen her hey. before that makes right. no sense whatsoever at all. Well, well, he's never seen the back of Ferris's head, so he's never seen his girlfriend either. Right. Sense. Doesn't recognize that jacket. And certainly, certainly doesn't see how the sun has been obscured by fucking Alan Ruck's six foot seven frame, just like blocking out the sun. Right. Just no. That was my thing. I was like, there's a ginormous man presence next to you and you don't think to look over your shoulder and be like, damn, Uh, there's a fucking sequoia in the scene all of a sudden like that. You
2: you saw the way his dad was dancing though. I mean, he was a buffoon.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Also, mom's pretty fucking stupid as well. (laughs) Like, like if I come home because my son's sick, like I'm going to get eyes on the prize before I leave the room, right? So she goes in and she sees him sleeping and then exits and then, Has like the voiceover of Rooney's um, um, in her head, you know, nine times, and she looks back in again. And if you look, like the blanket is off of the mannequin a bit. And it would be one thing if it was a you know white mannequin, but it's fucking (laughs) Mahanik.
0: Seriously, I was (laughs) thinking was have that in my notes from like that mannequin and I share foundation. Like how does she believe that's her child? It, it makes zero sense, it makes zero <laughs> sense. I have a film fact about this This one that is for me, I looked it up because when, it, when I noticed it on this rewatch, I was like, what, what is the significance of this? And how much effort went into this? So you know when he's like, how am I supposed to handle school on a day like today? And he opens up the blinds and he looks out and he sees the, the clouds in the sky. And there's a squirrel on the line they paid someone to train the squirrel to stay on the line because john hughes was so upset that that this wasn't more of a like midwestern feel there needed to be a squirrel in the shot they spent i don't know how many thousands of dollars on squirrel training
2: Amazing you see it because this morning when I was re watching it, I paused on the squirrel because it was so still. Yes. I was trying to see if it was a fake squirrel that they just put there, or I saw a little tail movement, which is the only indicator it was a live squirrel. But I, I stopped to check out that,
0: yes, because you're like, Fuck this squirrel, right? And it's like, it would have been acceptable had it been a fake squirrel, but no, hooray for Hollywood, let's spend thousands of dollars to train a squirrel to be catatonic on on command
2: what makes a squirrel more midwestern Uh, that I don't
0: know. You know, it's like, it's everything that I love and hate about movies at the same time, where it's like, you know, down the street, there's children starving. Let's spend $5,000 to fucking train a squirrel. That
1: completely fits in the theme of the movie, in my opinion, which of course is like white privilege
0: strikes back. It's funny. It, it's John, all of John Hughes' movies really are just about, with the exception of some kind of wonderful, although. It could be argued that there is a certain element of privilege that those kids possess as well. At least that he does. They really are just about a bunch of privileged kids that are pissed off about some shit, right?
1: Pretty and pink, like- yeah. Pretty and pink, and some kind of wonderful. Have the characters who are, you know, has have that dynamic, poor kid, rich kid dynamic. So even when he does suddenly have poor kids, he 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 immediately counterbalances it with a bunch of rich motherfuckers with beautiful homes can we talk about how beautiful ferris's home is which is here in long beach Hmm. is Hmm. it yeah yep country club drive yeah what is it country club drive Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah oh wow you know at the end if you um uh, when they go to uh sloan's house like, you don't see her house, but you're on like this long walk to get to her, to get to her door. And it's like very like. Is that the, where they are with the, the pool ludicrous? and the jacuzzi? They're at her house? I think so. Because like when they, they're last seen together, like it's just beautiful. You can tell like there's this, she lives in an amazing home as well. And then, of course, uh, Cameron's house is just ludicrous.
2: Apparently they wanted it to peer closer to summer, like in terms of like timing of the school year, it made sense, but they filmed in fall. So they actually spray painted some of the leaves green to help create the illusion
0: of it being more towards summer. Um, Wow, dude, Leslie, you are deep cutting uh and I dig it. Now, speaking of deep cutting, so so Leslie, as, as one of Leslie's things that you've done, we haven't mentioned yet, Having had such a strong love for this film, is that Leslie played hooky from work so that you could reenact the Ferris Bueller day? What was the best part of that day for you?
2: God, I feel embarrassed talking about. You it absolutely should not, well, as a supporter of this, you know, this this uh, narcissistic young man.
0: <laughs>
2: um, I think because to me, like I get, you know, I. I feel like I am analyzing so many things to death in my work life. I discuss systemic issues of inequality with my students all the time. I, I think for me, even then, I just wanted to love the the fun of it, regardless of whether or not it was realistic for people beyond the white male privilege. Um, I So for me, the most fun part, I don't know. It started with me calling in, saying, you know, faking sick. Cause I was actually, t- I was I, this was how I was a rule follower. I was more like Cameron. I could not, I was always afraid that if I called in sick, that someone would find out that I wasn't actually sick. So I, I was fake coughing. I was just sounding terrible. It's totally bogus, fake, fake sickness. <laughs> and then I went to the Willis tower previously known as Sears tower, had a, a fancy lunch downtown. Um, Went to uh, the art institute, went through the downtown area where the parade happened, went to a Cubs game, and then later sang Don Shane and karaoke with some friends. I uh, mean, it was a great day. I don't know what the most fun part of it was, other than my friends cheering me on that I was totally, like, faking sick, and, yeah. You know. <laughs>
0: Did you do the thing where you leaned your head against the glass? Did. Because that it's, shit makes me nauseous to watch. <laughs> exactly. Can I just put this out to you? You know,
1: when, when the chapter you're on is done and you're thinking, what should I do with my life? Please just, you know, go back to Chicago because I know you love it and start a company where you just take people on the Ferris Bueller tour and just do it every day because that is amazing. Look, that my feelings about this film do not negate the joy of what that, that is. I have my feelings about it. About Ferris, uh, fuck Ferris, right? That's my opinion. I don't <laughs> say you know, Ferris, fuck Ferris. That's me, Ferris, fuck Ferris. Like that's a sure that <laughs> But That being said, I completely like love the joy of this movie. That I can't, you know, I mean, it was there, I had it, I just have lost it, and it, maybe yeah. it's where I am right now in my life. But but I don't think I will. It will be difficult for me to ever watch it in the same way. That being said, yeah. that what you did is just like everything good. And you need to do that, like start that business.
2: But I wanted to see, yeah, if it was possible to do all those <laughs> things in a day too. Part of me is also just testing, like, how feasible is this? Picked a day when I knew a, a, a Cubs game was happening, you know, mapped it out. I was so dorky. I even did like the little pointy finger, like when I was singing Dr. shame <laughs> <State. laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, yes. oh, such a dweeb. I mean, I'm just dweeby, dweeby dwee- dwee- to the max. Um,
0: And a lot of it
2: I did alone, which was fun to think because I, there are theories out there that this was all um, kind of a a figment of Cameron's imagination or something he made up for himself, but, uh, and I always identified more with Cameron as a, as a soul, Uh, but yeah, it was a blast everything about it was a blast so fucking cool and i didn't come from a lot of means at the time and i was being paid lowly intern wages uh at the time as well still managed to to make it all work but it's interesting yeah just to think about access to a a beautiful and culture-filled city when you'd normally be stuck in a office with a man and (laughs) i love it
0: So then who, so you identify mostly with Cameron. Who do you mostly identify with then, Amy?
1: I don't think I identify with any of them. I'm not cool enough to be Ferris. I'm not depressed enough to be Cameron. Like I love Jeannie's anger, but I'm not, definitely not her. So I don't know. Oh, I'm probably Edie. I'm probably her. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Oh, definitely. And working and and making terrible jokes to a boss who treats me bad. That actually, all right, there. There's my answer. (laughs) Oh, no. I don't get to be any of the cool kids. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. My question was about Cameron because we've talked a lot around him, but not directly about him. Like, one to 10, how empathetic are you? I'm 11. He's abused by his father, I think, and, and his mother and his home life. And then I think he's abused by Ferris. And then um, the poor boy's abused so bad that he's sick, you know? And then, And then, like, at the end of the movie, I know he's supposed to get this whole, like, I'm going to tell him. It's just so extreme. Like I do not see a good future for him. In fact, Alan Ruck, like um, who's watching Secession? Oh, uh, Succession. Um, I actually think that this might be like Morris is actually Logan Roy, and this
2: is like the <laughs> oh first. Oh my god! Like and so, this- wait—is—is
0: is the show called Succession? Succession. Succession. The successor successor S-U-C. so and
2: then succession like successor okay yeah.
0: because you you've been speaking to me about this film or about this show and calling it secession and i have been searching for it incessantly thank you it's, it's called succession it's hard, it's
2: hard to pronounce <laughs>
0: <laughs> I and mean, you know my ass is gonna fuck that up that character apparently was based off of a real friend of john hughes who had a really problematic home life came from a tremendous amount of privilege but would like make up illnesses in order to try to elicit any kind of sympathy, any kind of attention whatsoever from their family. And then when they would actually get sick was the only time that they would feel relaxed because they weren't going through the mental gymnastics of trying to invent an illness to try to elicit attention. Um, Cameron breaks my heart. Why would he have anything other than a noodle back? No one's ever propped him up and told him that he's worth himself other than ferris but ferris also plays against his sense of lack of self-worth and and self-reliance to get his way all of the time i would imagine you know so yeah
1: he he exploits
0: yeah in my opinion a lot what he may have love for him but he he exploits
1: the weaknesses in him i'm surprised that like Cameron is a John Hughes character. Like he actually has like a soul. I mean, does that sound crazy to say? No. regards to, to John Hughes movies? And it's not all wet blanket. Like Cameron isn't one note and that might be the actor bringing it to him, but he's not, he like, he does have moments where he is lighter and happier and he's funny and and he it does play the game. You know what I mean? He does get involved. Like, so I just love the character to be fair. Like he's, yeah. he was next to Jeannie before she just randomly starts kissing Charlie Sheen. Cameron's the best. I mean, I really love his whole thing.
2: I I agree with both of you. I would say I I empathize with Cameron partly because I very much at that age lived in fear of you know the reactions I would get from my parents and at times, you know, more emotional disconnect. It's interesting seeing, you know, everyone in this movie, at least the central characters, they're living in this kind of bourgeois upper middle class to upper class life. Um, Cameron and Ferris have really different experiences of themselves based on these other familial uh, you know, factors that, that tie in. Yeah, both of them are quote unquote sick. One is faking sick to, to live. <laughs> and enjoy himself, and the other is has kind of somatized himself, or if anything, you know, fake sick to to as a way of coping with his, his pain. Um yeah, I, I love Cameron as a character. I think that the sincerity in his scenes towards the end where he really acknowledges his rage um towards his father. Uh, and how he's kind of processing all of that. I, it's it's still emotional for me to watch. Um, I'm wearing my red wing shirt <laughs> in support of Cameron. I just, I I enjoy him. It's interesting too, to think as well about the fact, you know, it's clear Cameron struggles with depression, anxiety, and I'm not trying to psychoanalyze here, but it's just like, you know, he's, he's clearly struggling uh, in terms of how all these factors are are limiting him and at the same time too he I think part of what connects him with Ferris in the end is he actually wants to be more like Ferris he I feel like he relies on Ferris to help him engage with life the way he wants to he doesn't feel brave enough to do it himself and he's looking for Ferris to kind of push him I know he's he gets frustrated with him but once he's playing along on the phone he's having fun and he's like wiggling his feet and he's laughing at the ball game it's like there's I think there's a lot to him as a character he's he is I rich
0: what,
2: yeah yeah ri- ri- rich money wise but even though he drives that no I mean car, rich rich
0: as a character no he's, I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just saying he's,
2: he's rich in many ways um and it yeah it's interesting to think about um their dynamic together with, with Cameron. I'm one of the questions I had prepared for today was, you know, thinking, how does your experience of this movie change at all? If you, if you think of Cameron as the most important character?
0: Well, I mean, from a, from just a, a a filmic, like the, the, the anatomy of a film, it has to be about Cameron because nothing about Ferris changes. He has no actual arc as a character. He is a narcissistic, self-serving, kid at the beginning and he is the same person at the end the only person that actually has a transformation is cameron and genie right so our two people who are having the hardest time engaging with life are the ones who come around in the end and genie's transformation is super shallow because this was
2: written by a man.
0: Absolutely, yes, we need to circle back to that for just and a fucking just moment, because I was that like-
2: man. And she just services Ferris in the end. You would know? It,
0: yeah, exactly. Would it be a John Hughes movie without a total scumbag of a dude criticizing a woman's appearance, basically calling her a whore, only to be able to fucking pull her at the end of it all. And then she's transformed by his mystical wisdom. Do you know what I mean? Like this is Bender and Molly like all over again. Oh, just in a in a in a tiny little version at the uh, at the police station there. You know, it's it's pretty gross. It's pretty gross that. I was like, oh god, no, there, we were almost we we were doing pretty good here, Johnny boy. We were doing pretty good. And then that. Which I actually have to say that I think that's probably one of Charlie Sheen's finer roles. I'm just gonna say that as well.
1: <laughs> oh, you know. You're right. I mean, fuck him in platoon. No, just kidding. (laughs) And
2: it's just just interesting because a lot of, you know, I do enjoy the breaking the fourth wall with, with Ferris throughout, even in the beginning with some of his ridiculous, you know, quotes he makes and the ironic commentary around not caring about socialism. And he's missing all the economic, um, coursework at the same time which also when you think about the topics they're discussing right. that day are also it's also very ironic how that ties in I don't think it was intentional but it's so it's so funny um shit I lost my train of thought where was I going oh the fourth wall most of the time when he's bringing fourth wall he's talking about Cameron he's directly commenting on his concern for Cameron how Cameron's different from him his frustration with how Cameron's living his life Even his understanding of Cameron's uh, um, depression, uh, he says, it really bothers him. But we know that everything Cameron's experiencing has contributed to where he's at. He said, he feels better when he's sick. Yeah, He's the only person I know who feels better when he's sick. And um, yeah, it just seems so clear. Holy shit, Leslie.
0: I didn't notice that, that, that the majority of the time that he's breaking the fourth wall, he's talking about Cameron, holy fuck. I love it. You're a fucking. That's what I'm star, Leslie, gold star.
2: And that's partly why I think I can I can leave some room for my appreciation of Ferris because I I it's manipulative. There are friendships like this. I can think of friendships like this. I've probably even been that friend with some people where I've pushed boundaries, and not always thought about their well being um, before my own uh, like to think I've grown up a bit, but you know, when we're that age, absolutely. Well, I think about, you know, he has this idea of I'm doing this all to help my friend actually get out of his head and appreciate things around him, even if they're absurd, um, or not, even if it's something as simple as going to the art museum and you know, they aren't doing a normal rebellious day off the eye envision vision as a teenager, you know, they are, you know, they're walking through the city, just taking it in. They're having like this nice lunch that they think is a grown-up thing to do, you know, and, and he's like, appreciate all of this. You think you haven't seen anything good today? We've seen the whole city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and he's so clouded in his mental filter, and you know, that he's not recognizing anything that's happened, and I think if, with Ferris, I think there's good intention there but because of his privilege because of the difference of experience he's had because of his nurturing if anything babying family uh and a a lot of the things he's gotten away with he he can't see some of the potential repercussions for Cameron but he still wants to kind of push in this way so I
1: love that you said babying because what the fuck is with the baby voices in the beginning like very is, is yeah, and, and even at the end, just like like when he bites at his dad's finger and stuff, like, oh, like dingy, dingy. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: as much as he cares about Cameron, I feel like it's always punctuated by fucking some stuff that just brings me back to him just being not woke. And fucking narcissistic and privileged. For example, when he's talking about the car with Cameron in the bathroom, right? He's like talking about like Cameron needs to let it go and and get into the day. And then at the end, he says, driving it is so
0: choice. If you have the means, I highly suggest it. Yes! Also, let's not forget that they are 17-year-olds walking around with the kind of pocket cash that would enable them to eat in this restaurant, buy tickets to a baseball game, admission to a museum, like, I, yeah. what? I, again, I, I, my <laughs> other
2: question that I had was, would Ferris have been able to pull this off without access to means? <laughs> you know, like, would he have been able to orchestrate any of this? From the computer and the fake-outs exactly. with the synthesizer to orchestrating this day
1: of one the answer is no the answer is absolutely no and the the thing is it's just and what's crazy about it the answer is no and that's reinforced throughout the whole movie let me let me quotable um at said restaurant when they're uh, about to eat and of course they do the whole you know telephone numbers and calling the police and then and then sloan um fakes being a Um, Someone calling for Abe Froman. And I love how, you know, side note, she doesn't describe what he looks like. She describes what he's wearing today. (laughs) It's like like, he's a Lego Lego man. (laughs) (laughs) He's always got this jacket on and and that vest on. That's how she describes him. But then when they finally do get a seat, which, which is wrong, like the guy's a dick to him at the door because he's lying he's not a dick to him at the door because he's just a dick that like the maitre d is like you don't have a reservation go the fuck away teenagers and as somebody who has worked in a restaurant or just in any way it's like stop fucking with my chi teenagers okay yeah sit down ferris spouts the line after the guy apologizes after the guy eats shit and apologizes he says It's understanding that allows people like us to tolerate
0: people like you.
2: Yeah. Again,
0: I hate Ferris. I'm sorry. Yeah, and that comes only what one or two, like a scene after, before the parking attendant has even opened his mouth, obviously. Do you speak English? The look that that actor gives him is, it's so great but like the way his head snaps back where where he's just like the fuck you asking me that for man like are oh, you yeah. I have,
2: I have countless bullet points of things Ferris does that reflect his privilege and ignorance mm-hmm. uh, and and also his I think romanticism of this material world that I think he also sees maybe modeled by his parents who are a real estate person and um an advertisement person yeah and thinking okay this is what this is what adult fancy life is Mm -hmm.
1: i read something about this so i I can't pretend to be this smart but they were talking about like this film being in the 1980s is really interesting because that point of time wealth was really in that point with you know reaganomics and everything where the separation between rich and being fucking rich where You know, basically you could spend a million pounds a day, dollars a day and make six. And that is kind of where Ferris is. Like, This is the generation where Ferris is not necessarily going to do what his father did for a living or like, you know, take over the company. Like, that's not what he's going to do. He's going to be so privileged that he's probably going to just like, um, like be a fry
0: cook at Venus. No, 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 Cameron says he's going to be a fry cook, like he doesn't have to do shit. Yeah,
1: yeah but this article, they, they were like, he'll most probably be, you know, the person who uses his like computer skills to make some fucking stupid shit like, like, um, you know, voice um, mail messages and things like that, because they they were like remarking about the time where Rooney goes and he like goes to the door mm-hmm. and thinks it's Ferris, and then he only realizes later. And he's like, This was before we had those experiences where we would like, you know, you, you start talking to someone, and it's like, fuck, I got the machine. Like Ferris is gonna be the person making those machine voices that we hate for the rest of the world and making tons of money off of it. Like, yeah. um, here's my note um genie and cameron are gen x but ferris is like a early millennial like. totally
2: i like thinking that his computer whiz skills are just a continuation of his character in war games <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he uses his computer skills to impress Ali Shidi changing her grade there. Like he uses them for what he thinks is good, but
0: also his own advancement. Um, well, I don't actually, I don't even doubt that that like isn't a call to war games, just like he's going to Shermer High. Like they liked to do all those kinds of little crossover episode callback things in those films. So that would, that would feel right, actually.
2: Yeah. You guys were talking about when they were standing uh, at Willett's Tower And I I you know he makes the comment if Sloan's like it looks so peaceful down there, he's like anything is peaceful from 1353 feet. Like symbolically, when you are that far removed from what's happening on Mm -hmm. the ground in society, Mm -hmm. of course it's freaking peaceful. He has this and when he says when he says, you know, uh Mr. Peterson would never drive a piece of shit. Like we need to use your car because he's essentially believes having a fancy car gets you taken seriously. These presentations of wealth Mm -hmm. and importance are what advance you in society. And it's which is interesting because Cameron, you could argue his he's probably more rich than Ferris. His dad's a stockbroker, and who knows what's going on. And he doesn't necessarily have that same mindset as Ferris, but there's- He probably
0: resents all that wealth because that's the thing that stands in between him and having any kind of relationship with his fucking family. Again,
2: yeah, it's this intersection of the relationships. Yeah, it's not that all, yeah, it's, I find it fascinating, but all these comps, even the way he talks to the, you know, even just, yeah, those demeaning tones he has with the guys who work in the garage, all of it is just-
0: Even the way he speaks to Rooney, actually. And I know Rooney's a fucking dick, but that's still your high school principal. There is some level of respect and deference that you should have when you address this person. And when he is calling to throw them off the scent of the fact that Cameron is posing as Sloane's father... And he's like, yeah, I mean, yeah this is um, Ferris Bueller. I just wanted to let you know that I'm not going to be in today. And I was hoping you could send my, you know, assignments or anything home with my sister. Thanks, bye. Like, he just dictates to his high school principal like he's below him. And it's, uh, Yeah. Ferris oh. is Ferris is a sight to behold in that in that respect. This Jeannie does it too at some point when when she calls the police and she's so pissed off because she doesn't feel like they're giving her the response that she wants. And when she slams and mashes the phone. And I used to think this was really funny, but like when she's like, speak it to English, like it's like, why are there so many of these? Why does this have to keep coming up? Yeah, and this, she's got this such whole... a good line before
1: that, too, where she's like. I'm cute, I'm alone and I care about my body. Like she's so
0: powerful and then they ruin it with the, you mm-hmm. know, speaking
1: English. Like,
0: uh, I'm very protective of my body. I don't want it violated or killed in any way, yeah. Yeah,
1: like I, lo- I love Jeannie. I think she's the only one who knows how to dress. Like there's little people on her, um, the second shirt and she's got like uh, suspenders, like I like her look. Sloan on the other hand, needs a stylist in my opinion. Um, speaking of Sloane, can I ask a question? Go. Does Sloane have any value in this movie other than being a beautiful
0: doe-eyed prop? Go. Nope. Fair point, Amy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered that too. I was like, "Is is like is this thing on? Like, what the fuck? Like, why are you here? What are you? What are you contributing to this? <laughs> Absolutely."
1: And I didn't think that
0: growing up. Mm-hmm. I
1: thought she was more involved like I thought she was more there I thought I thought like like I think everything the the most you get out of her is when she's like concerned about Cameron yeah in like the moment at the end and she's like caring about him but even then like it's just her doe-eyed fucking beautiful princess face looking at him and then they ruin it later when she's like did you watch me change?
2: I'm not embarrassed.
1: I'm not embarrassed because that's what I'm here for. I'm a beautiful doe-eyed prop.
2: I yeah. read somewhere that Molly Ringwald actually wanted the part of Sloan. I mean, given her history with John Hughes, like she, but John Hughes is like, no, I don't think so. This is it's too small a part. Um, so I think it was always the intention to keep her small, keep her not particularly um. Impactful. It's it really revolves around these two two boys, and and really maybe Rooney being kind of the third, um, you know, figure who's central to I guess moving things forward. But
0: <sighs>
2: yeah, all I have to say. Oh, the... yeah. <laughs> there's nothing more to say about that. Nothing more <laughs> to say about me as Sarah, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I mean... she didn't give us a lot to work with there, so. Oh, you know,
2: oh.
1: <laughs> Well, okay. So, so remember I was saying like you're outside of her house. One of the other things you know about her is when she's touching his face or something. Oh, she looked, he p- picks up her wrist to look at the watch. Cartier.
2: Oh, good catch. Yeah. yeah. See, they're all, they all got a little, little, little yeah. A little yeah. Um, oh
1: God. Jennifer Gray. I, I think this is probably her best performance and i love dirty dancing
0: you know they dated after this like jennifer gray and matthew broderick fell in love and dated and i know that you like you have a hate on for matthew broderick because of his terrible accident that he was in in ireland
2: he and she that's probably why she was in the car yeah The, the, the the tension like the stress from that event contributed to splitting yeah can i say so it's it,
1: the there is two characters here in this movie where it, like the real life makes it kind of difficult which is of course rooney um as we all know jeffrey jones went up the river because of child pornography and, and
0: i did not know that
1: oh yeah yeah he's been canceled uh child pornography and then and then there was like an what? incident what and i don't know if it was male or female i don't know anything oh yeah yeah jeffrey jones is is one person in Grotta. I haven't mentioned Rooney that much because I have such a difficulty. I fucking loved Jeffrey Jones in every performance he's ever done. And it's hard for me. I, I don't even want to, I, we haven't even talked about Rooney that much. And for me, it's been kind of, I've done that on purpose. Like, I don't want to make this podcast about this but it is another Woody Allen situation for me. It's like, can you separate the man from the art? because if we're just gonna talk about the art like he's brilliant He's brilliant in this movie. I love everything he does in it. He, I mean I can't imagine anyone being Rooney than him. Um,
2: and I, I find him creepy but he's, he's he's great. I think it's more just his appearance to me like his sallow skin I like he has the look of someone who unfortunately might. Um, be accused of of, uh, child pornography or pedophilia um the the least creepy he looked to me was when he was in Amadeus which you know he he was he got so much acclaim for his role in that movie um but yeah it's hard to imagine anyone else playing Rooney and I don't know I think my 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 creep factor with him sometimes gets in the way of how I view his his performances but you're right Amy he he has done some great roles however Here's the point
1: where it's like, fuck, Rudy. Rudy straight up drops a plant on a dog's head. Problem. Ferris has a dog, but nobody in the family talks about the dog. Yeah. yeah the, dog the dog trope is tired. Yeah. Like, 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 um, um, the only time anybody in the family interacts with the dog is when Jeannie lets the dog, you know, sick, sick balls. But other than that, like, no one feeds the dog, no one takes him for a walk. No we don't, and- the dog has no name. The dog We're has no name. We that. don't know
0: anything about the dog. We don't even have, hear the dog bark when okay. Rooney is smashing on the door and ringing the bell.
2: Nope. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't occur to me that he was dropping it on the dog. Some reason I thought you like gave it to him a nod or something. No, it, <laughs> oh, like knocks goodness. the
0: dog out. Oh okay. yeah. my
1: goodness. And mind okay. you, like if I came home and my dog was like knocked out, like I would not care about my brother anymore. It would be like dog that craziness. Like we love dogs on eating after midnight. Don't drop plants on dog. Oh my
2: gosh. Now I'm thinking about, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when dogs going to eat this plant. <laughs> <laughs> You can't be brilliant about everything,
1: Leslie. It would make it. <laughs> okay. Too yeah. smart. You have to have a moment where you like, didn't get it. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And, yeah.
2: There's always things to think about.
1: <laughs> <You can laughs> always. <on> <laughs> I feel like I have achieved something. because Maybe I, I illuminated something.
2: It's <laughs> amazing. No, no, no. I am.
1: Um... Not lately. Other than Sasha. Who I, as I do believe is one of the smartest women in the world amazing, oh, gosh, amazing. <laughs> okay what else do we have any other questions sash
0: i don't know i don't i don't have any other real burning burning i don't have a scorching case of herpes for this movie i'm i'm good like i've I think i have i've raked it all over the coals and i see it for what it is and i'm not as mad at it i'm not as mad at it as you guys are but I'm super I mad. <laughs> I see it. I mean, I, considering listen, how mad I was at 16 Candles, I can't be half as mad at Ferris Bueller's.
1: I think that my issue would be the fact that it, it's so undercurrent. It is the problem with white privilege is that it's almost unnoticed. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. 16 Candles is so blatant. It's just so obvious. You know what I mean? Of how wrong it is. It's in its in your face. It's in the cake. You can taste it. The whole movie is gross. It has become really gross to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so sorry. Just, it just rubs me the wrong way. And um, though you have softened where I was at with it before this call, it might just be the place we are in the, the world that makes yeah. this movie so icky to me now.
2: Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm all for, it's interesting, again, Cameron feels like he's a victim of circumstance, and, and in many ways he is, it illustrates how he is so different from Ferris, even though they come from me, they both come from means and um, have these different areas of privilege in their life. And I'm all for Ferris's, you know, a message of you need to be able to dictate Play a role in where your life goes, uh, but the reality is we can't be ignorant to you know, some of the the other context at play that facilitates that for some and not for others. Like this this idea of self liberation and and that we can we can engage in this. What I think Paris has is like a kind of a fantasy, like romanticized view of of, of life. Um, that doesn't apply for everyone. It certainly mm-hmm. doesn't apply for Jeannie in the same way as a woman. <laughs> and it doesn't apply for folks who don't have the same resources as him. And certainly not, you know, other folks of color in my circumstances. So it's yeah. I I appreciate the message genes, but the reality is it's it's not something that they shared equally by everyone.
1: Barris is treated a certain way by his parents, but Jeannie is not right? Mm-hmm. But he's definitely like the favored son. And it's like after the end um, when they're just like, oh, how was your day? And he's like, I'm feeling better. Oh, thanks mom. Thanks dad. And they've got that whole moment. And the music is all sweet. <laughs> my, my friend that I was watching with it goes, now they're going to go downstairs and yell at Jeannie. Huh? Right. <laughs> they right. In we the should air. shoot her. Like, and yeah. damn
2: deal with the Vermont people. I think we should shoot her. Yeah, like they're
1: so fucking mean to Genie. Like and and it wouldn't be such a big deal, except they are so sweet to him. But I guess they bought her a car and him a computer. So maybe I don't know. It's like I it's whatever. Anyway, any last comments before we move on to the last question of the evening? No, I'm satisfied.
2: I've said all I have to say and too much more, so <laughs>
1: proceeding. <laughs> like I said, this is probably our smartest episode ever because of you, Leslie. Is that the truth slasha
0: It might be. It might be. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So we, we, we've got Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, uh, Pretty in Pink, and and uh, this movie is called Paris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> and, and um, Some Kind of Wonderful. Let's let who's gonna um be first with kind of putting those in order of what, yeah, acceptable, you're gonna watch again, and the one that you were fucking done with. It's in the trash last time you were gonna watch it.
0: All right. Ferris Bueller's day off. I will watch it again. Pretty in Pink. I will watch it again. Breakfast Club despite how fucking problematic it is, I will probably watch it again. Um, 16 Candles is so far in the fucking trash. It's been taken out, composted, and reconstituted into something else as far as I'm concerned. it's, it's That's done. That movie is finished forever. Um, and Some Kind of Wonderful, I think, is also- Benito? It's at the dump. It's at the dump, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, if I was giving input on on those films and I, I enjoyed your commentary on all of them. Uh, so again, I'm, I'm so appreciative just to be part of this conversation with you two. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and that being said, I think probably similar to Sasha. I, I'm I'm gonna keep watching Ferris Bueller's Jeff just because for me, it is a love letter to Chicago, other themes aside. And it, it's, it, I think it's delightful in that sense. Um, I will watch Pretty in Pink for, for a variety of reasons, if nothing else, just to hear Steph talk shit at everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, ooh, yeah, James Fader, Peacock. Um, and then probably the others for me Breakfast Club. I, someone would have to really make a compelling case for me to watch. They'd never seen it before and they wanted me to watch it with them. Otherwise, forget <laughs> some kind of wonderful and 16 Candles for me. I really, they don't sit. They don't sit very well with me these days.
0: Oh yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles as well in the fucking garbage. Mine's
1: Breakfast Club. I will watch that again. Still liked it, still felt it, even though it's super toxic. And I think, to be fair, that's the only one I got. Like, Pretty in Pink, no. Mainly because I think it's boring at this point. Like, whatever. Some kind of wonderful... Like the ending of those two movies are so shit that it's like, I don't wanna watch it again just because you have to watch the end. Like I like watching full movies. And like, if you get to the end of either of those, it's just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonder, uh, I'm Plane Trains and Automobiles. And Ferris Bueller, like, no, I'm gonna separate those. Ferris Bueller, like, I'm not gonna throw it away. I will watch it if someone's never seen it before. I like that. Leslie, that's a very good way of saying whether or not you would, like, maybe if Blevin wants to watch it someday, I'll be like, yeah, I'll watch this with you, kid, but I'm going to be commentary throughout it. I'll be like...
2: Yeah, keep them in check.
1: Don't talk to anyone like that. Um, Pretty in Pink needs to be burned, and so does Plain Trains, and Automobiles. You mean life. 16 Candles? Oh, sorry, 16 Candles, yeah. 16 yeah. Candles is, like, like, with Birth of a Nation, it needs to be... <laughs> gasoline destroyed destroyed.
2: yeah and it yeah Yeah. absolutely my only other note was that the soundtrack to me is really fun um surprised it took so long for them to actually release it as an official soundtrack because some really interesting fan choices and um again that scene with the Chagall
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and then I don't know dream academy I would never listen to dream academy under any other circumstances but when that little when you were young did you ever love someone and when they're kissing I'm like oh it was just teen teen dreams all the way but you know yeah whatever yeah we're we're not teens no more
0: I do want a copy of that dream academy cover though because that is really it is so good
1: oh (laughs) I oh my god that's what I forgot He's so shallow that he, on his sick perfect day, needs to call freshmen to like up himself, like,
2: like put someone else on.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. like whoever doing that. Like, why is he doing that? He just needs people to need him and want him, and and to like like feed his ego and his his persona.
2: Ugh, Ferris. Yeah. or he's just further solidifying his his story to help him get away with that right
1: oh my god whatever you guys are so forgiving to him
2: well, maybe Fer- maybe ferris didn't have enough people calling him out on his shit
1: <laughs> and he never will that's the thing about ferris and that's he why i think
2: as they grow up cameron could change i don't see ferris changing
1: Yeah Cameron can do something really good with his life um and but like Ferris like he's never going to change and he's always going to get away with it and and maybe my anger is because of you know he he's not Brock Turner but he's he's of the same ilk you know what I mean like he's in he's in that place where if he does something like i don't know go to ireland and fucking kill somebody he gets away with it you know what i mean people
2: well, i am saying that's very yeah. much like the matthew broderick yeah he he just ferris
1: mm-hmm. his
2: way through that <laughs> I, I like and
1: so so it's hard it's hard for me
0: to he didn't even to take now. the time to speak to the families of the women he killed and for like 20 years Gosh. i mean i guess it's traumatic he killed two people yeah. but at the same time like you've got to do you've got to face the music in that
1: scenario right. anyone else you know here in that situation we're like yeah but it's really difficult for him to do that and but well it's really difficult for me to deal with the fact that my daughter's dead dude like you know what i mean it's like yeah. you want to have as much sympathy for people as possible but I, at the same or empathy but fuck and yeah. and i but that is my issue with the film and yeah. i think that the, in 1987 or 86 when I watched it, yeah, I loved it. And that was before I knew how people like Ferris shape the world. Uh-huh. That's why it's so infuriating today in spite of the fact that it's so iconic and I, I have great memories and, and it does make me wanna to go to Chicago. I need to go to that fucking museum, but fuck yeah so sorry okay. i was so heavy oh no it's okay <laughs> i'm angry
2: you can, I'm you can angry at the no, world it's okay no you can you can cut the you can cut this part out but one thing that i find interesting is there is one moment the only moment in the whole film where ferris is willing to take responsibility and it's when he offers to cameron okay
0: mm-hmm. this I'll clearly went yeah. too far
2: the, the one moment of self-sacrifice he's willing to give which i think again yeah reflects the carry as per camera and realizing oh shit okay this is this is out of hand not that he'll change necessarily but every other situation he's evading you know any kind of heat for anything he does but like you can't go too far he says that you can never go too far and he's like well i'll do you just it. your dad far, hates bro. me anyway yeah. so maybe yeah. it's easier to do that when you know and They're he says to him to- you
0: you can't take this kind of heat i'll take the heat you can't take this kind of heat like he's he is legitimately afraid for his friend in that moment that that will be the thing that breaks him
1: but he's not afraid for himself and i think that I, I agree with you that this is a moment for him to to um where he does actually have a, mo- a moment of like caring about cameron and actually ultimately I, I agree with you to that point but even in saying stuff like what well, your father hates me anyway they don't think
0: like, the, how much is this car worth, Sasha? 13 to $15 million. Thank you. The repercussions of this
1: car falling, like, like being destroyed. Like, he could cut Cameron off from his money for the rest of his life. He could, you know what I mean? like,
2: He doesn't I, understand the stakes. The,
1: yeah. Like, the stakes here could be really really bad you could fucking kill him you know considering what you've heard about this man he could beat him up like you know he could physically harm him like none of these things are are um out of the realm of the possibilities of what's been set up in the film or or what the reality is like it's intense he could sue him he could send him to jail like you know there's nothing preventing him just because of familial you know things but Ferris doesn't clock that, yeah. you know what I mean? He's like, I'll take the heat. I can handle it. He doesn't like me anyway. He thinks he's going to get a slap on the wrist.
2: And again, which is- that, yeah, and that reflects the pri- the other dimension of privilege he has, which is this very nurturing family where right. he probably has never faced significant repercussions for anything he's done. So he can't, he can't truly empathize or fathom what that feels like for someone like him.
0: I have to say that I hate the schmaltzy music that they play. It's stupid. The car, it's, like sick ass soundtrack to that. I was just like, where did we, where did this weird bit of music come from? This is terrible. <laughs> All right.
2: Thank you both. This is fun.
0: So, so happy to have you. Thank you. <laughs> don't
2: go Shane. Don't go <laughs> Shane.
0: much for listening to our latest episode of eating after midnight and thank you so much leslie for joining us on this episode if you liked what you've heard please pop on over to itunes or whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us a review i'm even gonna up it this time around because amy and i we took a nice hefty long break And we see those listens going up, which means you guys are still here with us. And boy, howdy, do we appreciate you for it. So here's an idea I've got. If you would leave us a review, actually write us a five-star review, we will read it on the next episode after we receive it, and you you will be credited for that, whether it's good or bad. I think it would actually be hilarious if it was bad. So You will also make our day. Please don't write us a bad one. That might actually really hurt our feelings. We put a lot into this. All right. All right. Anyway, you'd also make our day if you could follow us on Instagram at eating after midnight podcast. And if you've got the time, DM us with any comments, questions, complaints. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, don't forget, life does move pretty fast. And if you don't slow down, you might miss it. So until then. Keep a good thought, dudes. Does anyone else remember (laughs) that line? No. No, Freshman.